If you would uh, first turn with me tonight to the epistle of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I want to begin here in a moment reading in verse 15. And as you may remember from our study a long time ago in Numbers chapter 32, the two and a half tribes had petitioned Moses to give them their inheritance, their possession of the land on the other side of Jordan before Israel passed over Jordan into the land of promise. This land was suited for their great multitude of cattle, livestock, so they asked Moses for that land instead of the land that they were to inherit on the other side of Jordan. And this upset Moses a great deal. And he charged them saying, he said, shall your brethren go to war and you just sit here? And Moses explained that this would discourage the other tribes just the same as those ten tribe or ten um, spies of the, of, of the tribes of Israel had uh, discouraged the congregation of Israel when they returned with their evil report of the land. Oh, there's giants there and we're grasshoppers in their sight. Well, God had promised to give Israel the land and defeat their enemies for them. And the spies' report greatly angered the Lord and caused their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. We know that story well. And it was then that the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh promised before the Lord to go to war and help the other tribes in the land of promise. They promised not to return unto their homes until the children of Israel had rested in the land of promise. And this satisfied Moses and he allowed them their request. And one of the most well-known phrases in all the Bible found in Moses' statement to those two and a half tribes in Numbers chapter 32 in reference to them reneging and not fulfilling their promise was this. Be sure your sins will find you out. If you don't do what you've promised, what you've made an oath unto the Lord, you can be certain that your sins will find you out. And I suppose this would be a good time for me to say that in preaching the gospel, our purpose is always, whoever, whatever true gospel preacher preaches, is to point men to Christ. That's the only way sinners can be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by Him. If a sinner is not found in Christ, there's no hope of them ever being redeemed. Well, we're nothing but sin, but the Lord Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am chief. It pleased the Lord to, to send His Son into the world to die in their room instead, to keep God's law perfectly, to satisfy God's justice on their behalf. No salvation apart from that. But yet also the Scriptures, and by the grace of God, I might add, God often warns us from the pages of Scripture about coming short of being in Christ. And that's a great grace too. And that's what we have before us tonight. We have a a real warning. And, and these messages are, are tough sometimes to preach, but they're, they're necessary. They're necessary. 
be sure your sins will find you out. Now that phrase has often been misunderstood and misapplied. And the only difference between the two and a half tribes and the ten spies that Moses sent out was that the spies who returned were afraid to enter into the land of promise because of unbelief. But these two and a half tribes refused to enter into the land of promise because of earthly gain. But the issue is this, both refused to enter the land of promise. It came short. To enjoy the promises of God and to enjoy the sweetness to be tasted in the land of promise, you must, you must enter into it. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, all things, all these things that happened to Israel that we've studied in Genesis and Exodus and in Numbers and now in Joshua, they happened for examples as types to us. These things were written aforetime in the Old Testament were and for our learning that we might through patience and comfort of the Scriptures have hope. May God be pleased to teach us from their example and do that just that. Give us hope. Know this. None of us are exempt from unbelief. Apart from God sovereignly keeping us by His grace, any and all of us are through unbelief and gain of the world capable of losing out on the promises of God. If God doesn't keep us, we won't be kept. The land of promise is not only a place, but the enjoyment of that place was the fact that the land flowed with milk and honey. To enjoy the fruit that God gave, you had to be there. You had to be there. God had given Reuben and Gad and Manasseh this land and its fruit, and they would never enjoy it because they decided not to enter. They chose what their eyes saw instead of what God promised. That happens a lot today. And what a great warning their, uh, their example is to us. Their affection was set on things below and not on things above. And I'll say this, and I say it with great sadness, over the last past 30 plus years, I've seen the same thing. There are many that I know who chose worldly gain over spiritual blessings. While there was a time that I did, and if not for God's intervening grace, I hate to even think about what might what things might be today. I know several men who've moved their family from a place where the gospel was preached to a place that it wasn't. I've seen some who've stopped attending where the gospel's preached for other reasons, and and none are reasonable and good. Some have left for job promotions, earthly gain, worldly opportunity. Others for personal reasons. Others just stopped coming. Period. Yet, in most cases, those who leave still profess to be believers. They still call themselves Christians. And maybe they are and maybe they're not. God knows. I don't. Uh, but certainly it doesn't look good. And I know this much. Uh, 
Their choice will cause them to lose out on the enjoyment of God's sweet milk and honey. The feast of fat blessings, the wine of the leaves well refined, and the sweet fruits of the Spirit in this life cannot be tasted if you're not there to taste them. And in most cases, it's the love of the world. It's the cause and it's the reason why. It was the reason for these two and a half tribes. Love of money, love of possessions, love of attention, love of man's approval, the lust that men and women of the world covet. Be sure that your sin will find you out. Okay, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. John wrote just that. Love not the world. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? Pretty simple, pretty plain. Meaning love not the world in which men live. Love not the world as your home. Love not the world as your place of habitation. Now, I like my home, and I know many of you like your home. It's comfortable, and and I can rest there. I can stay in a $200 a night Holiday Inn Express and and rest well, but not like I do at home. But it's not my forever home. You know, I see some of these shows on, they say, and we're looking for our forever home. Well, it's my home's not my forever home. As they say, God's people are but sojourners and pilgrims and strangers here. We're just passing through. We really are. This is not our dwelling place. We find no true peace or rest here. We're not to love this world, neither the things in the world. That's what John said. Our Lord has prepared a place for us. And that place is our home. And that place that He's prepared for us, He's going to be there. And that's what makes it so wonderful. We're waiting for our departure to that place. At the end of Paul's appointed time, Paul told Timothy, he says, I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Yes. Not the time of my death. Well, we, we're going to live forever, either with Christ or in hell. But he said, my departure's at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Now look at what John writes in verse 16. John tells us what the things that we are not to love are. And it's a, it's a wide and it's a large, it's a broad and extensive subject. Verse 16, for all that is in the world. How much of it? All of it. <laughs> the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, these three things pretty much cover it all. Paul did say for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these things are not of the Father. They are the things of the world and they're not to be loved by us. The lust of the flesh. That's specifically speaking of unclean desires, not the corruption of nature. That's why we have the lust of the flesh. 
uh, it's not talking about indwelling sin. That's the cause of all our problems. This is specifically speaking of sensual desires, unchaste desires, thoughts, words, and actions, fornications, adultery, rape, incest, sodomy, the indulging of what is called fleshly desires. The lust of the eyes, second thing mentioned. What we see and believe to be earthly treasures are not at all. Riches, possessions, worldly extravagance, wanting what we see that others have, and coveting what we see that others have. The lust of the eyes. The pride of life, the craving of grandeur and pomp and vainglory, honor uh, and the applause and approval of men, ears that must be flattered and praised and admired, the striving for attention. These things are not of God the Father. They're of the world and we're not to love them. Look at verse 17. These with the world will pass away. And all the lust thereof is one day going to end. But the ones... The one who does the will of God will abide forever. The one that trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ puts all their hope of redemption in His finished work. They will abide forever. Where? Where Christ is. And in verse 19, speaking of those who love the world, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And again, I'm reminded of the words of Moses. Be sure your sins will find you out. And that's what is so alarming about what John writes here. Uh, Who's he speaking to? He's writing to those who profess to be the children of God. He said, I write unto you, little children, for your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. He's writing to those who profess to know Christ. Those who claim to have overcome the wicked one. He's writing to those who declare to have the Word of God abiding in them. Now the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh were of the twelve tribes of Israel. They were delivered out of Egypt just like the rest of Israel. But they stopped short of the land of promise. Yep, they defended the name of God. Yes, they were willing to die for the cause of the Lord, but they did not enter the promised land of God. Now, turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. When Israel gets to the Jordan River to pass over, Joshua addresses those two and a half tribes here in verse 12. Joshua chapter 1, verse 12. It says here in verse 12, And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half, the tribe of Manasseh spoke or spake Joshua saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, 
The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side, Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord hath given your brethren rest, till he's given them their inheritance, the land that he promised them, and the sweetness thereof is what he's talking about, as he hath given you, and they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then you shall return into the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side, Jordan, toward the sun rising. And they answered Joshua saying, all that thou commandest us, we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Now we fast forward to Joshua chapter 22, verse 1. Joshua 22, verse 1. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he said unto them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and you've obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you, and you've not left your brethren these many days, unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren, as he promised them. Therefore now return ye, and get ye into your tents, and into the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of Jordan. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went into their tents. Now, in the time that we have remaining, I want us just to consider for a few minutes these two and a half tribes. And I pray that we can glean and learn from them as our example. First, let's consider their promise. Uh, I won't turn you there, but in Numbers chapter 32, verses 17 through 19, they promised to go armed with the, before the children of Israel until they had brought them unto their place. They did that. They had promised not to return into their own homes on and to their own tribes, to the other uh, tribes had inherited their land and rested from fighting. We just read where they did that. They promised to forsake any inheritance that they had on the other side of Jordan where the majority of Israel would dwell, and they acknowledged that their inheritance was on the, the side of Jordan before crossing. But, they fought for what they refused to be a part of. And it's always suspect when you fight for what is right so that you can possess what is wrong. These tribes did not fight for the promised land because they loved it. 
They fought for it so that they could have what they wanted in this world. Their whole motivation for staying where they were was earthly gain. I mean, we just have to call it for what it is. And I don't want to be harsh here, but for all practical purposes, these two and a half tribes were really nothing but mercenaries. They, they were hired, more or less paid, and, and, and bought contractors. There are many such professors of Christ today. They are in the business of religion. Religion's big business. You know that. And they are in business of religion for worldly gain. They maintain that they're fighting the good fight of faith. They defend the gospel that they profess to believe. But their defense for the gospel is not for Emmanuel's land, but for worldly gain, wealth, and possessions. They refuse to enjoy the sweet fruit that's found in the land of promise. They reside on the wrong side of Jordan. What testimony do you and I have if, if by our own will we choose and decide to come short of God's promises? Cross over Jordan. Cross over Jordan. Die to the other world. Come and dine upon the, the, the sweet milk and honey of God's Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's plenteous mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing that hymn, Depth of Mercy, Can There Be Mercy Still Reserved for Me? And the answer is, absolutely. God is plenteous in mercy. For Thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon Thee. Psalm 85.5 But Thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Psalm 86. 15. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Come to Christ. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is plenteous redemption. Psalm 130, verse 7. Now it's suspect, it's suspicious for one to fight for what they refuse to enjoy. And how effective is one's testimony if they choose to come short of God's promises. We testify of the Lord's love, mercy, and grace in Christ by telling folks what Christ has done for us. But will anyone be influenced to trust in Christ if we have nothing to tell them from personal experience? In John chapter 7, when there was a division among the people because of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Pharisees asked this question. Have any of the rulers or any among the Pharisees believed on this Jesus? In other words, if there's anything to Him, wouldn't we, the spiritual giants that we are, have believed on Him? And you know, Nicodemus was present at that meeting. And... Uh, Nicodemus defended the Lord in the fact that he said, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he does? But you know, he could have said, I believe on him. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a ruler. I believe on him. Like Peter, he could have said, I believe this man to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the Scriptures simply state that Nicodemus left this meeting as did the rest of them and no indication at all is given that he confessed Christ. 
Now in John chapter 19, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys along with Joseph Arimathea and took the body of Christ and prepared it for burial. That was as a wonderful uh, act of mercy and grace. But if Nicodemus did believe in the Lord, uh, did believe in the Lord, he never really enjoyed the peace and the rest uh, that, that that brought because he continued to dwell, so to speak, on the other side of Jordan. This is the point I'm trying to make. Being close to the promises of God is not the same as enjoying them. And defending the promises of God are the are not the same as enjoying them. Are you enjoying the promises of God? I want you to. And I want to. Are you faithful to attend the preaching of the Gospel? Do you love to hear the story of Christ crucified? Are you resting in His finished work? Or does your service to Christ just make you comfortable in the world? Or is it just a way to convince the world that you're a good person? Secondly, I want us to consider their life. As we've already mentioned, these tribes kept their promise, but they gained their wealth and their prosperity outside of the land of promise. And for those who refused to enter into the promises of the Lord and keep the people of God at a distance, there come a time when their faith is called into question. I know a man who attended here for many years. He and his wife stopped attending for personal reasons. He came back for a while and then left again. And when I asked him why he left, his response was, I'm going to make a go of it on my own. Only one problem with that. No one can make a go of it on their own. That's the very reason why the Apostle Paul exhorts professing believers not to forsake the assembling of themselves together. Now listen, salvation is not in church attendance, but one whom the Lord has saved wants to come and hear the Gospel preached. That's their only hope. That's the only comfort they find in this life ridden with depravity and sin. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. You know, I am encouraged to see this is a nice crowd for Wednesday. That encourages me. That blesses my heart. Our Lord said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. But to go alone is to go without the Lord. And if you worship alone, Christ will not be there. We are to exhort one another and encourage one another. That's why we come together. That's why we want to hear the gospel because that's our, our hope. And you can't be defended or justified by your actions if you don't. The same man who was quick to inform me that he was not, he, he said, I'm not a novice in the things of God. Well, and then he began to, critique my preaching, telling me that I needed to preach more on this and less on that. And, and maybe he came back because he needed to keep me straight. And I just told him, I said, well, uh, God didn't need any help doing that. God's going to keep His preacher straight. You don't have to worry about a true minister of the Gospel getting puffed up. The Lord well knows how to keep us humble. 
doesn't he, Gene? That's what such a one does, though. They'll boast of their close relationship with God and brag on their personal knowledge. And the two and a half tribes uh, didn't just build an altar. We'll see in the next study, Lord willing. Well, after they left uh, Shiloh and headed back home, they stopped at the River Jordan and they built an altar unto the Lord and they built a big one. So big that you could see it the way the Scriptures read from Shiloh. Uh, they just didn't build a, a, a an altar. They built a big one for all to see. And they were basically saying, we might not be a part of your group, but we're still believers and we're strong believers at that. See how big our altar is? I wish I had a quarter for every time someone asked me how big our church was. And I wish I had a dollar for every time someone asked me how many members we had. I'd have enough money we could all go to Dairy Queen tonight and have a good meal. But the world don't care what you preach. And the world don't care who you worship. If there's a big group, then you must be right. After all, can't that many people be wrong? And if you don't have many people, you must not be right or you'd have more. And that thinking is not correct when you consider that broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads unto life. Yes, sir. Be sure your sins will find you out. And then thirdly, we must consider the end of those who are outside the promises of God. Remember the tribe of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh chose to reside outside the land of promise. They preferred the rich land for their livestock and the wealth that it brought them over the land that flowed with milk and honey. And there are many today who do the same. Sad but true. They walk by sight and not by faith. They want what is tangible and monetary, not what's invisible and eternal. But Christ is the one thing needful. And not to have Him is to have nothing. Nothing to offer God. Nothing that God will accept. Christ is the one thing needful. And it's interesting to note that when war came to Israel in the book of 1 Kings, those who made their homes short of the land of promise were the first to fall. Be sure that your sins will find you out. Friends, there's nothing in this world to love enough to put this world and the things of it before the promises and the blessings of God that are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. It's God the Father who blesses His people with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. Are we going to leave? Where else will we go? He has the words to eternal life. We're hearing the words of eternal life when we meet together. Is it any wonder that the Lord Himself said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. There are no treasures upon earth. Where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's where true treasures are. That's where Christ is. Heaven is heaven because Christ is there. 
where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, now listen, you know this, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye, if therefore thine eye be single on Christ and Him alone. The body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, Thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve God and man. And it's impossible. You can't have two masters. One of them's going to take superiority over the other. There only can be one master. You'll hate one and love the other and you'll hold the one and despise the other. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body that what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Friends, life Eternal life is to know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom God sent. There's nothing else that matters. There's nothing else that matters. By nature, we all have sinned and no doubt come short of the glory of God. But never forget that we're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. We came into this world naked and that's the way we're going to leave. We brought nothing with us. We're take, When we came and we're not leaving with anything. So, we must not come short of being in Christ. Don't stop at Jordan because the world looks attractive and nothing attractive about it. If we don't have Christ, we do just that. We come short of the land of promise. We fall short of the only one who is faithful that promised. And we miss the one thing needful in order to have life. The greatest token of God's grace toward us other than saving us by His grace is keeping us by His grace. And He's faithful that promised. Oh, I'm so thankful that we're kept by the power of God, aren't you? We're prone to wonder. We're prone to leave the God that we love, but we're kept. Kept by what God has done for us in Christ, the power of God. It's the gift of God. Mm-hmm. Well, as I said, that's, that's a difficult message to preach. But I thank God that He's saved some by His mercy and His grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to continue to look to Him. Every hour of every day, look to Him. Not to ourselves, not within, but to Him. May God be pleased to make it so for His glory our good and for Christ's sake.